The funny thing about flying your own plane is that it's one thing to know where you want to go, but it's a good thing to start out that flight with uh, a strategy for getting there. <laughs> this is my conversation with Kevin Palmieri. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Kevin Palmieri. He's the host of the Top 100 Global Podcast. Oh, see that? I always, I already forgot. The Next Level University. I was so smooth there for a second. Par for the course, my friend. Right? Right? I was so smooth at Next Level. I want to level up. I want to level up my introduction. Okay. But I, I, I kind of do that. Honestly, I kind of do that quite often. I worry too much about, the, about mm-hmm. getting the introduction right. Same. It comes from the comes from the performer in me, the stand-up in me. It's happened to me many times. I, we, we had a really big interview, and it was like, do not mess this up. Do not mess this up. Do not mess this up. Naturally, I messed it up after hundreds of episodes. You think I get it right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to my, do my second, my second take. My guest today is Kevin Palmieri. He's the host of the Top 100 podcast, Next Level University. It's uh, been viewed by, uh, by more than 125 countries at this point. He's recorded more than 1,000 episodes, and, um, and with good reason. He comes from a great of tr- uh, area of tremendous positivity and, uh, and also the voice of experience. Even though he's not a very old man, he's a young man, but he's got a lot of experience. He's been there, and, um, and before the show, we were talking about how commerce entrepreneurship, mental health, all seem to get put in a very similar box. And I would like to start there with, uh, with the notion of, first of all, why do you want so desperately to help mm, other people? Uh, great question. Thank you for the introduction. I appreciate it. I'm excited to chat. So I quote unquote found success when I was 25 you know, I had a nice car. I had a beautiful girlfriend. I had a great place to live. My job paid me well. I had my dream body, but I was super unhappy. And I think that success is one of those things that many people chase. Not everybody actually finds success, but I think when a lot of people find success, they realize it's not actually what they were looking for. And after I found success, I started working on myself and I tried to work on myself and I tried to work on myself. And then I set a new goal for success. And my goal was to make $100,000. And I didn't have a college degree. I was, I was a, you know, a 25, 26 year old man. And I made $100,000. And I still ended up sitting on the edge of a, a hotel bed debating suicide a year or two years later. So my goal really is to use my experiences, to use what I've learned to help others avoid what I've been through. And, and that really is the mission. That really is the goal. A lot of people will say, 
money doesn't buy happiness, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. And I had that same experience. So it's my hope. It's my intention that through my story, through adding value to other people, I can help them figure out what they actually want out of life and maybe give them a unique perspective that they haven't seen before. The key may be what they really want out of life. Cause that's the, that's the thing that we don't know. I was, I was in the car today and I, I often talk to myself in the car and I was like, I was like, you know, uh, it took you, why did it take you 55 years to find out who you are? And then I answered myself and I said, oh, you think you know who you are? Because, because it's really just this journey of, it isn't like, like you could look at all these things you've done and think you failed in all these situations. I had one guest refer to, uh, to what she called excellent mistakes. And it's, it's like we, we are constantly judging ourselves for what we haven't done based on what we think we want, which we then find out from year to year or decade to decade or even minute to minute, we don't really know what we want. Describe the, the moment where you felt differently about what mm. you wanted and what you wanted to do with yeah, your life. Yeah, I remember um, I was sitting at my kitchen table I opened my fa- my final pay stub of the year. I made $100,000 at 26 with no college degree. And I was like, awesome, this is great. But I- st- What were you um, doing? What I was were, in a, was the-, the weatherization industry. So it's kind of like construction, but my job was we would go into any state-owned building really to make it more energy efficient. So we worked in big schools, we worked in police stations, we worked in fire stations. And the beautiful thing about working on state buildings is you get paid by the state, which is usually a higher wage than most jobs. So I was making you know, anywhere from 60 to $100 an hour, depending on where I was working um, in the country. So that's what I was doing. And I remember... Hirsch, when I opened my fi- that final pay stub, I was like, okay, I made this money. I should be super happy, but I'm not. I don't feel any different. I actually feel worse in a way. And I don't know why that is. And shortly thereafter, I ended up starting a podcast. And right when I started a podcast, that's when everything, everything pivoted for me because I stopped caring about my job and I started caring more about adding value, growing, and contributing. And that's when it all pivoted for me. I mean, I started calling out of work. I'd show up late. I'd leave the job early. I cared about the podcast, even though nobody was listening. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know if I was even good. I didn't know if anybody ever would listen. I finally felt like I was living on purpose. And that was just a weird feeling for me. How long ago was this? This was five years ago. So not that long ago. No, not all things considered. No, really not. And when did things start to change for you? It Mm. felt better to be doing this, but when did you start to see some kind of actual concrete change? Um, It's it's interesting because there's been, there's definitely been different seasons. So this is really what happened. I made the $100,000 and I was like, all right, cool. I don't really want to do this job anymore. Problem is I didn't believe I could be a podcaster. So I kept doing the job and I kept getting further and further and further out of alignment. And like I said, I would leave the job early. I'd call out. I just didn't care anymore. But I kept doing it because I didn't believe I could do anything else. And I I felt 
But you were daring them, sorry, but you were daring yep, them to fire you. 100%. In a way. And that yeah. didn't happen. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. So eventually, Hirsch, I ended up waking up in a hotel in New Jersey. And I lived in Massachusetts at the time. Most of our work was done on the road. So I spent the majority of my life living in hotels when I was working for this company. And I woke up in a hotel room in New Jersey, six hours away from anybody who cared about me. And that morning, my mind was just going wild. It was like there was 10 televisions on in my head at the same time, and every single one was on a different station. And one is saying, you're stuck here forever. Like, just get over it. Just, just get right with the fact that you're stuck here forever. Uh, if you do leave, what are your friends going to think? You're just going to like be broke and not have a job? You can't do that. What's your family going to think? And then the loudest thing for me was, do you really think you can be a successful podcaster? And I didn't. I genuinely didn't think it was possible for me. And in that moment, I thought if I was to end my life, I would take my problems with me. Now, that was like the rock bottom basement moment that changed everything for me. I messaged a friend of mine who is now my business partner. I told him how I was feeling. I told him what was going on. And he said, Kev, so much has changed, but your environments are kind of the same. I think you need to change your environment. A few months after that, I left my job. That's when everything started to feel somewhat real. In the beginning, I'm an, a broke entrepreneur who doesn't know anything about being an entrepreneur. So in a way, it kind of felt like I was on vacation until I got the reality check of you have to start making money or you're going to be broke forever. So I would say that the initial time where it was like, oh, this is really something was when I left my job. And then after that, it was a struggle. I mean, just like everybody else, if you're out there, you've tried to build a business or anything, it's brutal in the beginning. It's brutal. You're starting something from nothing. So there's been a lot of those moments, Hirsch, where it was really like, number one, is this even going to work? I've had so many of those, those dark nights of the soul where I'm laying in bed saying like, I don't know if this is even going to pan out. How am I going to pay the bills? There's been so many of those moments, but me leaving my job I, this is the analogy I use. One weight was lifted off my shoulders. One weight was put onto my shoulders. And I'm grateful for the weight that was put onto my shoulders because it was more aligned. But that's probably the biggest, most impactful time when I realized, oh, okay, we're really doing this here. What was your upbringing mm. like? I was raised by my mom and my grandmother. Um, I would say lower middle class. We never had a lot of money. I never went hungry. I never wanted for anything, but I do think that was my mom putting me first. It's not like we had a lot of money. I shouldn't have had a lot of the nice things I actually did have. But I know that for me, my dad not being in the picture was this giant void that I never faced. For me, it was like anger. You know, like, I don't care if that man is dead. I don't care if I ever meet him. I do not care... I don't need to know him. I'm better off without him. That was the biggest part of my childhood that really still stuck with me. I mean, us not having money definitely created some scarcity, but it helped me when I was broke to learn about money and now realize, okay, now I feel more in control of money than I ever did. That's, that's very important and impactful for me. But yeah, growing up without a dad, um, all my friends went away to college after high school. I didn't. That didn't really feel like an opportunity for me. I didn't really have anybody's footsteps to follow in. I didn't know how to apply. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I ended up just working jobs and odd jobs. But yeah, the dad thing, that was the biggest thing for me. That was like a something I felt was missing. And 
you know, in school when you go around the classroom and they would say, what do your mom and dad do? And it's like, I don't, I don't know. My dad's in construction. That's what I used to say. Because that's all I can think of. I don't, I don't know. I have no clue. I assume he's in construction because everybody else's dad is in construction. There's, there's a good chance that's what my dad's doing as well. So that was something that, that was a challenge for me. And luckily that was a challenge I got to face and look in the eye later in life. You say you didn't face it when you were younger. You didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't try to resolve mm. it. But you were dealing with it all the time. Yeah. Obviously, you were aware. You were you were feeling that hole, that void. Did you did you get in trouble as a kid? Did it manifest itself that way? No, no. I'm in an interesting. I'm in an interesting family, Hirsch, where most of the stories I heard growing up were, "Hey, don't do what I did." So there was a lot of people who got in trouble in my family. So I had some examples of what not to do. I was definitely angry. Um, I wanted to, I always wanted to be a fighter. Like I wanted to fight professionally. And I think part of it comes from that anger. I definitely had a temper. You know, I punched holes in many things. I think a lot of, you know, young men do that. A lot of people in general. But yeah, yeah no, I was angry, but I never got in trouble. I've never, I mean, I've been pulled over twice in my life. I've never been in trouble with the law. I've never, yeah, that was never a thing. Substances really never, it's nothing I got into. So I think I avoided all that. But I definitely, my lack of belief in myself, my lack of confidence, my lack of self-esteem and self-worth, I do believe are directly correlated to that. And me knowing that is powerful, but I didn't know that for the first 27 years of my life. Yeah, it's safe to say that that every boy has punched a (laughs) wall. It's a question of, what kind of wall and yes. how hard? Yep, I would say so because because there are times you could punch the wall and, and it depends where yeah. you are. You could be in school, you could be at home. If you're if you're sharp enough and you're with it enough and you have your wits about you, you'll pick a wall that is softer yeah. than your hand. That's what I did. Uh, so I had that presence of mind, but I didn't have the. But I wasn't a violent kid. But I didn't have the presence of mind to not mm. hit the wall. That was not an option yeah. for me. You have to punch the fucking <laughs> wall, dude. You have to put your. You have to, and and also, how often do you hear bullies or tough tough guys? People say, "I will put mm. you through a wall." I remember hearing that, and and the same thing popped into my head. What wall? Because. I love to act. I love pratfalls. I love breakaway mm. items. If we can pick this here, I just punched that wall last <laughs> week. Put me through that one. It looked cool too. Put me through yeah. that one. But it does take a while for us to put all that together and confront what's really going on in the back back of our minds. How did you process uh, that void? Eventually? I don't know. So I had a very unique opportunity where I don't know if I would have done it if I didn't have this opportunity. So one day I was going through, I was 27. I lived by myself. This was after my girlfriend, my girlfriend ended up leaving me. It was a whole thing. Um, But I'm sitting on my recliner and I'm on Facebook and Facebook still to this day has a folder where if somebody's not friends with you and they message you, it goes to this folder. So say Hirsch and I aren't friends on Facebook. He sends me a message after this. Hey, thanks for coming on today. It doesn't go to my normal folder. So I'm going through this. Right, you have to, you have accept, to accept it. it. You have to ex- decide yep. whether to accept it. So I'm going it. through that folder in 2017, and I see this message, and it says, hey, this is blank. 
I'm your father's girlfriend, dot, 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 because it doesn't show the whole message. And I remember thinking, oh, we're not doing this today. We are not doing this today. I cannot do this today. (laughs) And I think I went on about my day and then I ended up opening it back up. And the premise of the message was, hey, I'm blank. I'm your father's girlfriend. He wants you to know that he has seen you on Facebook. He's very proud of everything you're doing. And if you ever want the opportunity to meet, he would love to meet with you and just get to know you. And I remember throwing my phone on the floor, falling on the floor crying, because again, it's very easy to say that you do not care if somebody is alive or if they're doing terribly when you never have to look them in the eye. And I think part of it for me was Mm -hmm. I realized I had to do this. I can't not, I can't run from this anymore. Now it's intentionally me running away if I say no. So I messaged one of my friends and I said, hey, my dad basically just messaged me. Uh, I have to do this. And this person said, hey, do you want me to come with you and support you? I said, no, this is something I have to do by myself. So we end up meeting at a diner that's halfway between where we live. And I remember, (laughs) and this is interesting. It's funny now, it wasn't at the time. But I remember when I walked in and sat down, I was like, I don't even know what this guy looks like. So I don't, how am I even going to know when he gets here? This is going to be the weirdest shit ever of all time. It's going to be so weird. Mm -hmm. And I remember I saw a man walk by the window and I said, that's, that's my dad. Don't know how I knew. But I said, that's, that's gotta be my dad. And he walked in, he found me, we sat down, we talked. It was as weird as you would expect. There was definitely some tears flying, mostly from his end, because I was still very shut off. Um, But I remember leaving there that day thinking to myself, that was one of the most powerful, courageous things I've ever done. And this is what happened, Hirsch. I realized that this is just a man who has his own junk, who's made his own mistakes, who has his own regrets, who has his own limiting beliefs. He has his own shit. He just never had the opportunity or the necessity to face it. And this is how it manifested. And the Mm -hmm. person who I made a villain for most of my life, I think I'm the one who gave him the power to be a villain. When I saw him in person, it kind of got rid of all that. It was like, oh, he's just a human who doesn't, he made mistakes like everybody else. Did those mistakes affect me? Yes, but, you know, he could have done better, sure, but I'm sure he probably didn't know that much better and he has his own stuff. So I think it helped me humanize something that I villainized for so long. We spent a couple other afternoons together after that, um, but it's very hard to take somebody who you don't know and then insert them into a spot that they're supposed to fill in your life. It's just like a weird thing of, I can't pretend you're my dad and just like insert you into my calendar and we're going to spend more time together. I don't know if, I'm, if I want that. I explored it. I don't know where it's going to land, but to this day, it's still very much, we're amicable, amicable. He can text me, I'll text him back, but I'm not necessarily pursuing a father-son relationship. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I went through a divorce. Um, I was married for 10 years when I was young, when we had three kids and after the divorce, and this is still being involved in, in your children's lives, when you're going through divorce and you're not seeing them constantly and you have visitation and you have shared 
uh, custody or 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 different times of year, different yeah. holidays are traded off and all these things. So you're bound to miss things. And there were moments of disconnect where I would see my daughter, for example, and feel like, oh, I, I've missed a certain thing or we're not quite, you know, and that's painful mm. enough. Like just, you can't, you have to repair that too if you've missed something, some 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 phase or some moment or something that's going on. You have to work just to mm. fix that. So the idea of coming in, you know, how old were you at this point? You were you were in 27. your late 20s? Yeah. So coming in at that age, and you always want the movie, like as a mm. as an observer, you want the movie ending. You want the oh, now they go, now they see each other every weekend, and now this happens all the, you know, and now it's fixed, like it's clicked, you know, like click back into place. And that just isn't reasonable, you know. What do you, but when you think, when if, if so, if someone were to ask you now, oh, what does your dad do? That same question that you were, when you were a kid, you would say he's in construction because that was the yeah. safest, easiest way to end that. If someone would say to you now, oh, what, what does your dad do? He's actually in construction. He's what in construction, Hirsch. He actually is in construction. I was right the whole time. <laughs> I just didn't know it. So, yeah, he's, he's in. Wow, Kevin, you went through a lot That's of shit for nothing. Just to find out that's that he already I got. was I in construction. The, you I got knew the it answer I already knew. But yeah, that's what that's what I would say. And yeah. I try to be open about it because it's like, you know, I, there are so many people out there. I had somebody ask me that recently. I said, you have to go, from my perspective, you have to go meet this person. Um, this person came to me and said, yeah, my stepdad was kind of, honestly, he was kind of a dick. He was terrible to me growing up. And he reached out and asked if if I'd be willing to go get lunch with him. And I said, this is up to you, obviously. It's always your call. But I know that healed a piece in me because when I, I was able to have em- empathy, and here's, like, this is the darker but truthful side. I, and I don't mean this with ego. My life is going to end up better than his did. And it's like I empathize with the fact that I'm going to end up living a pretty darn good life, and he, he really didn't. So I think that helps me humanize, you know, what if, and this is a, a philosophical question, but what if life has humbled him enough? Do I need to go in there and say, hey, you suck for not being there? I don't think so. I don't think that's my place. So I have a weird relationship with relationships if if it, that doesn't already come through. But yeah, I think it's important. It was very important for me and it helped me humanize something that I villainized for a long time. As we were talking about relationships and you say, you know, I had the I had what I thought was the perfect job, mm-hmm. the perfect girlfriend, all, the, all that. And that relationship ended was that part of this whole transformation or was it a, what, what, what was yeah, that about? Um, so my girlfriend and I, were, we lived together in Boston, Massachusetts for like eight months. We moved to New Hampshire together and we were living there together for like three or four months. And one day my girlfriend came to me and said, I want to move across the country. I want to move from New Hampshire to California. And I gave her every reason in the world why she couldn't and shouldn't and it was dumb and it wasn't a good idea and she was going to fail. And I was just so scarce. I was trying to hang on to what I had that I wasn't willing to help somebody and lift somebody up and and put air into their sails. So, you know, that was the end of that conversation. And then she came back a couple weeks later to me and said, hey, I got to go do this. Like, this is what I'm meant to do and I'm leaving you. So this is it. This is done. I'm going to move out my stuff. 
you live here by yourself now, you're in charge of all the bills. And that was the very beginning for me because I had to look in the mirror and say, what, what the hell happened here? How did we get to this point yeah. where I'm living by myself? And I remember uh, my landlord came to me because I told him what happened. Because I said, well, next time you, you know, next time you come over, don't be surprised if it's just me. And he wanted to take my ex-girlfriend to court. And I said, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. He's like, well, I, Kev, either you have to pay for everything or I have to take her to court. I said, don't worry about it. I will never miss a payment. I'll figure out a way to, to make this happen. Because I didn't, I didn't have anything negative against her. She made the right choice. In the moment, I'm sure I didn't feel that way. I'm yeah. sure I was frustrated and I probably wasn't super kind thinking of her. But like, she made the right choice. And when she did that, that was my initial dive into self-improvement. That was the first time I ever introspectively took a look at myself and said, oh, there's some, there's some shit going on in there that you should probably take a look at. It was like the car was smoking for the first time ever. And I was like, oh, I should probably take a look under the hood. And that was, that was my initial dive into self-improvement. So in a way, that's what set all of this up. What is the difference between someone who focuses on self-improvement and wants to make personal uh, changes to better their lives and someone who actually takes it to the, to the radio, so to speak, someone who, who becomes a podcaster. You could, have, you could have improved yourself and just yeah. changed jobs. So why podcast? So my business partner and I, uh, we went to middle school together and we went to high school together. And it's interesting how this all works out. But I ended up having him on my podcast for the first episode. He was somebody I looked up to. He was a mentor. He had already quit his job at corporate America making like $200,000 a year to chase his dreams. And what we ended up connecting on at a deep level is he grew up without a father too. His father passed away when he was two years old in a car accident. And we believe at a deep level that if we had self-improvement in our lives when we were younger, we wouldn't have had to go through all the shit we went through. And we wouldn't have had to make all the mistakes mm -hmm. that we made and genuinely deal with the traumas that we've dealt with. So I don't want to say I feel a responsibility, but there's a part of me who, who really thought to myself, look, I have the courage to talk about this stuff in front of other people. I don't know why, I don't know where that came from, but I do. I feel like I have a duty to share that with other people. And I think the, the part of it is we have a deep belief that if self-improvement was more accessible and acceptable, a lot of the junk that the world deals with on a daily basis would go away because so much of it is because of ego. And so much of it is because of lack of awareness and lack of planning and lack of self-improvement. So I think that for us, it was never about money. If you start a podcast for money, you're in trouble anyway, because that's, that's a rarity. <laughs> so it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about being famous. I, that's nothing I ever wanted. It was about the impact and it was about the mission. The mission is the reason I do the things I do. I don't, I didn't want to be a speaker. That was never the goal. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. That was never the goal, but that is what has become required of me to be the person that I needed when I was young, when I was at my lowest point. So it's the mission. The inspiration is the mission, and that's what keeps us going through all this. More and more these days, the mission is mm -hmm. the driver, which is, which is awesome, and I think we're getting to a you know all of the all of the you know the do-gooder stuff aside, we're getting to a point as you know as people as societies where 
we're just like, okay, let's just, let's find meaning in yeah. what we're doing. It's almost, it's rebellious in many ways. It's not what the yep. system wants. It's not, you know, it's not what we were conditioned to do. But we're, we're having that, that identity crisis as a, as a species. So to some extent, we're just in our own little trajectory thinking, oh, I, wanna, I want this to mean something. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to find meaning. Now, when you marry that with, you had that the earlier stuff that we were talking about. Where you got to mm-hmm. make money, or you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna starve, or you're gonna you're not gonna make. So, what did you do to evolve this very personal thing into? Yeah, a that's business? a great question. So, number one, I always have to do this and put this out there. My business partner is a master's in business from one of the top technical schools in the world. He's a genius. So, I'm very blessed that I got lucky enough to attach myself to that gentleman. But I remember the first thing I did was I said, okay, what are we doing? All right, we're talking about self-improvement, habits, awareness. All right, how do we make money? We coach. We got a coach. We have listeners who would pay to get to know us at a deeper level and get extra value. So the first thing I did was I reached out to somebody who I knew was a listener of the show. Her name is Jenna. And I said, hey, Jenna, I've never coached before. This is something I'm interested in trying. I'm thinking about running like a free kind of trial. So it's totally free. We'll jump on the phone every other week. My only goal is to help you. Is that something you're interested in? And she said, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'd love to do that. I did that for a few months and she saw results. And after that, I said, so now I actually have like other people who are reaching out because I've been talking about it on the podcast. I can't do this for free anymore. So it went from free to 50 bucks a week to a hundred bucks a week to $150 a week. And then that was really how we started our business. And then, you know, obviously it evolves as you evolve, but that's really what started it for us. It was the proof of concept that, yeah, there's people out there who are willing to pay for this service. And if you can get enough of those people, you can actually create quite a successful business. The, the problem for most people is they assume people are just going to come out of the woodwork for them. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. It takes so much work to get to where we've gotten a thousand episodes, you know, it's just, you got to treat it like a job. You got to treat it like a business. And for a business, you got to show up every day. If somebody comes to your business and their sign on the door says closed, you might never get that person to come back. So we are open 24 seven, every single day forever. Absolutely. And and so it is with not just obviously podcasting or coaching. It's it's that Mm -hmm. way with everything. What I wonder about is with something like coaching, that's very personal and that's what that's something that you do. Is that scalable in some way to make as you do this more and more that you have a vision for how you're going to make your life a little easier? Not that you don't love doing it, but yeah. you know, if you want it to if you want it to become yeah. even bigger. So one so that actually happened. It was very much like, okay, so what am I going to do? Eight coaching calls a day, every single day, and then what? Like, then what do we do from there? So after that, we asked ourselves. I think we were probably like maybe two or three hundred ep- uh, episodes into the podcast, and we said, okay, this is working. What else can we do? And I had somebody come to me and they said, you know what you should do for a business? You should help other podcasters. And I was like, no, that's terrible. I don't know anything about podcasting. And they're like, of course you do. You have more episodes than most people. And I was like, and this is, this is my inner dialogue. Nobody will pay for that. I don't know anything. I'm not an expert. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I ended up getting a referral 
uh, somebody, I remember I was, for some reason I was like $30,000 in debt and I decided to get a massage. I don't know why I don't, I didn't need a massage, but <laughs> I remember getting a massage and I walked out of the massage parlor and I had a, a voicemail and it was a referral from one of my mentors. And he said, Hey Kev, I heard that you have a podcast company that helps podcasters. Give me a call. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's happening? So I ended up starting to work with podcasters. And then we built this business within our business where we help podcasters. Then it was like, okay, what else have we proven through our five-year journey that we can help other people with? And then that's where things really started to get weird because we have a bunch. I mean, we probably have seven or eight different monetization points in our business. And no, most of them don't require my time because we have an amazing team. So we have a 16 person team, which is very helpful, obviously. So yeah, we, we transitioned at some point we transitioned from, okay, we're a podcast to, we are a multi, 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 multi department business that is going to scale and grow globally. And that's really the, the biggest pivot we made. And then it was just, what do we have proof of concept for already? Are the products tools like courses, uh, uh, you know, what, how, what's the uh, They're model? all service-based. They're all service-based of like, so we have Next Level Podcast Solutions where we help busy CEOs and entrepreneurs grow and monetize their podcasts. We have Next Level Guest Solutions where we help people get on shows. We have another service that helps people get guests for their shows. We have a website section where we build out our clients' websites. Uh, we have a VA department where we have next level virtual assistants who have been through our training and they're some of the most productive virtual assistants in the world. So like, yeah, it's all really service-based. It's weird, Hirsch. I, we don't try to do things to make life easier. I don't know why that is. It's just like, it's almost like what is the most challenging thing we can create and then we try to create that. And then it's kind of, it's kind of that, like my life has not gotten easier over the last five years. It is unreasonably challenging because everything that we're building is for 10 or 15 or 20 years down the road. We have an app that we just built, which we're going to, you know, there's going to be technology that we have with that. So it's very scalable from the aspect of we've been team first. So I was driving a car that literally the brakes were broken and the engine one of the pistons had a hole in it and it would stall at red lights. But we were bringing on team members. I wasn't getting nicer things because we're very much optimized for the future, much to my dismay for much of the journey. I wasn't yeah. very happy about that. But now yeah. I am because I understand. I understand the long-term vision more than I did. Um, so that's what, yeah, that's what I would say. A lot of it's 10, 15 years down the road. Nobody, you can't really see what's happening yet in a weird way. This perspective is probably stuff that you didn't have when you were thinking about $100,000, when, mm-hmm. when the goal was $100,000, yeah. right? Because I don't, know what, I don't know what your plan was for the following year. I've gone through this myself, which is like sometimes you look at what you think you need and you're like, okay, well, I just got to get what I, what I need and I have to go out and get, and then I need more, I got to yeah. go out and get more. But that's very short-sighted. And I think that's to blame for some of the, you know, in my case, where I've just done a lot, I've done a lot of different things that all of which I believed in doing, but I don't know that I looked at them from 30,000 feet and said, 
here's a map of what I could accomplish. And then to your point about podcasting as an example, there's two ways that people seem to go about it. One is they have no experience doing something and they just assume they Mm -hmm. cannot do it. They are convinced that they can't do it. This guy over here, he could do it. She could do it. They could do it, but I can't do it. I'm just not, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then there's the other person who has no experience and they go, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And we don't know which, which one is right or wrong and it doesn't even matter because as frustrated as we get with the things we have trouble learning, like you say, you're not making it easier. That's another personality trait. There are personality traits that people who want it easy, they will do the bare minimum and they will sometimes catch themselves by surprise when they become passionate about something. And all of a sudden they're working nights and weekends and they're, they're doing this and they're taking pay cut and they're doing all this and they don't even know what's happening to them because they're like, I did not ever expect this. I wanted it to be easy. I wanted to get paid a ton of money for yeah. doing nothing. That's what, that's what I wanted. But first of all, that's not an easy job to get. But it also, it also sometimes has, has holes that are secretly built into it, into the fabric of it that we're just prone to fall through. And, uh, and the, the paycheck, pay stub in that particular case isn't going to yeah. catch you. You know, it's going to so- solve certain certain problems. So what kind of uh, what kind of problems do people bring to you as a coach? What is these days like what are what are you seeing most most often? I would say and it's interesting to say this because it's really one of two things usually. One is low self-worth which creates the thought that to your point I cannot do this I am too stupid, I'm not smart enough, I'm not beautiful enough, I'm I'm not a good enough speaker, I'm not enough, basically. Or, this is more rare, but also quite as detrimental. And understand, I'll I'll go through this, but like almost overly high self-worth, where all I have to do is show up and everything is going to work out. And it's like, that's not how this works, that's not how this works. So... All I, from, from my perspective, what coaching is doing, depending on who you're working with, is ultimately instilling belief in somebody to take a new action and then making sure that you give them a strategy to get through the result they get from that new action. So for instance, somebody comes to me and says, I'm not smart enough or good enough to do blank. And then I just help raise their awareness to the fact that that's the story that they're telling themselves, most likely conditioning and most likely wrong. On the other end, somebody comes to me and says, yeah, it's going to be super easy. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. Well, from my awareness, what I have done versus what you've done, that's actually not going to work. This is the action you should take. You're going to get humbled most likely, and then I'll be here for us to re-strategize. That's what I've seen most is it's lack of strategy, really, and it's lack of self-awareness. Those are the biggest two things. Goal setting is not super challenging. Goal strategizing is unreasonably challenging, especially if you don't know what the goal will take. I had somebody come to me one time and they said, I want to be as successful as you guys. And I eventually want to get to the point where I'm like Gary V. And I said, well, I don't know what it'll take to be like Gary V because I'm not even remotely close, uh, maybe in the future, but I'm not right now. But let me ask you some questions. 
do you value your, we- your weekends? And this person said, yeah, I-, I love my weekends. I said, okay. Do you value family time? He said, absolutely. Do you want to walk your kids to the bus one day? Absolutely. Do you like vacations? Absolutely. I said, from my understanding, it's going to be extremely hard to have Gary V level impact with those core values. Boom. That person ended up switching what they wanted, right? Because it's most likely not going to happen. And guess what? If you do trade everything in to get that goal, you're going to end up like me sitting on the edge of the bed because you realize that's not actually the goal that you wanted. You don't value the things necessary to get the goal. That's okay. Let me save you five years of your life, right? That's, that's what a coach can do. They can look into the future oftentimes and say, hey, I don't think this is going to end up the way you think it is. This is just my perspective. Take it for what it's worth. So yeah, I think it's just a, people need a little more awareness. That's all. Well, they, it sounds like they need awareness of their mm-hmm. own awareness. They know more than they think they do. Or less. They know more than they, well, or less. But they may know, they, they may, those, those gut decisions, the decisions that they made, let's, let's say they've already made those decisions. They vacation, they spend a lot of time with their kids, they don't miss any of their kids' events, they go to all these things, but something's lacking in terms of their uh, Gary mm. V-like goal. You know, uh, or their their aspiration, their their brass ring. Well, they're they're already showing how how much less they yeah. want that yeah. than they think, unless they're miserable with their family, or they want to get away, or they want it all. That thing I can have it all. I believe that we can absolutely have it all, if 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 it all mm. is what we. Yeah. pursue but but similar to uh to the movie up in the air where george clooney talks about the backpack and how you have the bare minimum in the backpack to make your weight lighter so you can do more things basically he's he's going against all those all the family things and all those things that are just like rocks mm-hmm. and clothes overpacking your backpack but in reality if you pack well you can have you can have it all it all mm-hmm. will fit but that, but the priorities have to be spread out accordingly, and uh, how hard we want to work for that stuff is is up to us. It's not my. That's the thing is like, it's not my job as a coach to tell you to work harder. It's my job to remind you what your goal is. If you don't want the goal, then we just change every. That's okay. The last thing I want somebody to do is work like I do to get the results that I want because they think that's what I want for them. I don't want anybody to do what we're doing, genuinely. I don't want you to get to a 1,000 episodes. Yeah. I don't want you to do seven episodes a week unless you are so driven with the fact that you must do that because it's in your heart. That's a whole other story. But it's, yeah, the strategy is super important. Having the awareness of what will the goal take. That's, that's a great question is, this is my goal, awesome. From my understanding and my awareness, what do I think that goal will take? Is that in alignment or is that out of alignment with any of my core values? That's a great place to start when it comes to goal setting. I was going to ask you for one last piece of advice before we go, but that's a really, really good good way to wrap it up because I think that sums it up really well. Kev, thank you so much for, for coming on. Is there anything that uh, you want to 
tell the audience about or anything you want to share that's a particular focus right now, given all the things you're doing? I just wanted I, to hit that I appreciate before that. we leave. I, can I, just one message I like to send out before I, I log off is, it's a quote, I'm sure somebody in history has said it in this way with these words because people have been around for a long time. So I believe that your reality becomes the parts of your imagination that you hold on to and pour into the longest. Episode seven of that podcast that I started when nobody was listening, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I said that I wanted to wake up when I want, go to sleep when I want, podcast with amazing people and be my own boss. And now here we are five years later and I'm doing that. And I believe one of the core reasons is because it's something I just held on to. When times got tough, I held on. I surrounded myself with people who could help me get there. So make sure you hang on to your imagination. I think your imagination is a form of currency that a lot of us give away because it's not quote unquote realistic. What I'm doing is not realistic at all. So there's a version of that out there for you as well that's not realistic and I think you'll be happy doing it. And that, that's the message I would end with. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at never quit, uh, never quit Kid. I get back to all my DMs and our podcast is Next Level University. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.